Thanks, Carol. <clears throat> Good morning. Uh, if you've missed it, my name is Garrett. <clears throat> some people call me the youth pastor. Uh, some people uh, have other names for me. Actually, actually <laughs> I'm going to silence my phone because it's those people are going to try to call and prank me while I'm up here. Let me just... <laughs> uh, yep. So I'm the last of... Uh, four guest speakers the last month that the Mark Houghton has been away on vacation. And so, <laughs> Phil, <laughs> oh, don't do this to me. Okay, getting calls already. I shouldn't have even commented on it. I'm giving people ideas. So yeah, the last month or so, we've had a lot of guest speakers who have been speaking um, from God's Word, and they've been great and important sermons And uh, they have caused me nothing but problems, but like in a good way. Like they've been very challenging. And um, I actually want to reference them quite a few times while I speak to you this morning. Because I've learned a lot from them. And I really want to share with you what God has been teaching me uh, this past month and and beyond that. Um, You know, I'm going to need God to help me express that because it's a... (laughs) It's tough to do even on a good day, so join with me as I pray. God, we, uh, we thank you for this opportunity that we can meet together. God, and uh, as I speak, I pray that you would uh, give my words clarity. God, that what I say would be, would be your words. God, they would only be what you desire your people to hear. God, and uh, I pray these things in your name. Amen. So if you would follow with me as we read... Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 to 34. Familiar passage probably to some of you. I'll give you a moment to get there, or uh, you just, if I'm too quick, you can follow on the screen behind me. Therefore, I tell you, this is Jesus speaking, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, nor what you'll put on. It is is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more of value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour onto his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all of his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God can clothe the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So don't worry or be anxious about anything. Seek first the kingdom of God. So originally when I was reading this passage, I was kind of like, okay, I've got to figure out a way to tell everyone how to stop worrying. right? Tell everyone, you don't have a reason to worry. Right? But... but um, the following story, it's, it's a little humorous, but it might kind of illustrate why that would be a difficult, uh, impossible message, maybe a ridiculous message to preach. So in this story, a man once told his friend, 
He said, I have a mountain of financial debt. All right, my car's being repossessed. Right, my, my house is in foreclosure. Uh, I've, I've lost my job, but you know, I'm not worried about it at all. His friend, uh, obviously a little worried. Said, you're, you're not worried about it? No. You know, I've, I've hired a professional worrier. All right, he does all the worrying for me, so I don't have to. His friend is, well, I mean, that's fantastic, I guess. Like, how much are you charging? How much does this professional warrior charge uh, for his services? The man says, about 50000 a year. His friend is absolutely shook. 50000 How are you going to pay for that? He says, I, I don't know, but that's not for me to worry about. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 yeah, it seems a little ridiculous. Yeah, uh, no, I get it. Like, imagine dropping all your worries onto, like, someone else um, so that, and not worrying that they would be taken care of. But isn't that kind of what Matthew 6, 25 to 34 is saying? Isn't that kind of saying that's what we should do? Right? Is it, that's kind of just what we read. Don't worry about anything. The, the passage seems pretty clear about it. Like, don't worry about what you eat. Don't worry about what you drink. Don't worry about what you wear. And then Jesus then elaborates to demonstrating that God is caring for all of it. Like, God knows what you need. Don't worry about it. He even asks, isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Like, as if food and clothing aren't even worth consideration. And that, like, that idea doesn't seem real to me. Like, what? How can life be more than food when you need food to live. Like, I'm asking, like, what kind of fantasy do you live in where food seems insignificant to life? Like, imagine if you could, all right, imagine with me, uh, a life where you aren't worried about anything. All right, imagine, like, maybe, uh, close your eyes if it helps. Just imagine a life where there are no worries. You are not worried about anything. What does that look like? I can open up. It's a bit rhetorical, but honestly, think about it. When, I'm, uh, when I think about this, when I do this exercise, what comes to mind is kind of the, yeah, kind of like the, that scene, like a, like a travel agency commercial. You know, you're sitting back in the chair, and you've, you know, got some non-offensive drink beside you, and you're, uh, you're not worried at all because, because you probably got, like, loads of money and food stashed somewhere, Right? And the idea being, like, if I had money and stockpiles of food somewhere, I wouldn't be worrying much, right? Maybe then I could fool myself into thinking food is insignificant to my life. Well, there's one thing in the passage that kind of sticks out. Uh, like, it kind of looks like a conditional statement, but I think there's something else to it, right? Uh, Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. Often when I uh, hear this passage, it translates to, if I want enough food that I can stop worrying about food, I need to seek the kingdom and God's righteousness. That's not quite what Jesus is saying here. Does anybody see the difference between what was read in Scripture and what I just (laughs) explained, what what kind of comes to mind when I translate this into my own words? Right, the two statements, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you, the first statement. 
Second, if you want to never worry about food, seek the kingdom. They almost seem like the same, but there, there is a subtle difference, very subtle. Consider what is coming first in each of those statements. In one case, the kingdom of God is being sought. And in the other, food is being sought. Things. And the kingdom of God and his righteousness, they just become a means of getting these things. Right? Not to say that food and clothing are bad, right? In the passage, it says clearly that you know, God knows that we need these things. The difference is what is being sought. Between the kingdom and God, or between the kingdom of God and food, what is perceived as more important, right? What is more essential to life? Where is the hope for life being placed? And if you guys can remember back um, a few weeks ago, Lauren preached a sermon about hope. I remember making a connection to Abraham um, and Abraham's hope to the promise God had made. I remember him referencing Israel and the hope that they had for the promise God made, right? The promise that they would receive blessings and that they would be a blessing to all nations. If you remember that sermon at all, and you can look back, it's online, Israel started to act in a strange way where all their focus became on the blessing that they were getting, right? They perceived as as God's blessing as something they could get themselves. They became completely consumed with their own ability to be worthy of God's blessing, right? That they started to think they could earn it. No effort was placed into, into the blessing of other nations. They had completely lost sight of that because their primary worry became about creating their own blessing. And uh, besides, the other nations, yeah, they didn't even deserve it anyways, right? Like, so hope, their hope for their blessing became their worry. And when Lauren described, um, again, if you look back in that sermon, uh, he kind of described his confusion around how hope was described in the Bible, and I, I, I absolutely get it. I completely share that confusion. Um, that made sense to me, because hope... Hope seems really flimsy to me. Right? Think about how we use the word hope or hopeful. Right? We, uh, we say, you know, I hope so. I hope so. Right? It's kind of it's wishful. Right? It's, it's dripping with concern. I hope so. Like worry that uh, what we're being wished for is not going to take place. Right? It's weak. It's, it's wishful. It's, it's, like a, it's a foundationless gamble. And we use this kind of hope, right? I use this kind of hope, and it, um, it often, I confuse that kind of hope with when Scripture talks about hope. In the week uh, after Lauren shared, so what, like two, two weeks ago, Perry came and he shared about um, faith in his, title, in his sermon titled, The Lord Will See to It, emphasizing the importance of faith, confidence that God would keep his promises. He reminded us um, of Abraham and God's promise of many offspring. Right? Perry reminded us that uh, Abraham had a great faith in God in that instance. And even when God asked for Isaac's sacrifice, Abraham uh, believed that God could even raise, raise Isaac from the dead. Right? He, he referenced Hebrews 11, uh, verse 17 to 19. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, who had received the promise, that was the act of offering up his son, 
of whom he said, Through Isaac shall your offering be named. And even then he considered that God was able to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. All right, in that instance, Abraham's faith in God's ability to keep his promise was, was purely in God's ability to keep his promise. When God asked Abraham to sacrifice his only son, Adam's hope, or Abraham's hope, was in the future of God's promise, and it remained firm. It was not a wishful hope. There was no worry. His faith was absolute confidence, right? And his hope was complete certainty. But enough about this. This Abraham guy, I can't relate to this. Like, there's got to be some dirt on this guy, right? There's, there's got to be something wrong with him. I just want, you know... I just want to, like, punch him in the face in that brief little moment in between his faithfulness, right? So, so just green with jealousy. So, but Abraham does have some great examples. Let's dig this up. Let's dig up this dirt on this guy. All right, so Genesis chapter 16, it records a time in Abraham's life when, uh, when it was that moment. It was just for that moment that his faith shifts, right? And his hope is affected. When you read Genesis Chapter 6, Abraham and Sarah worry. Right? They haven't received God's promised blessing of many offspring. Right? And they worry that it won't come. They can't see it. Um, they can't see it happening. This side of Abraham seems a lot more relatable to us. Right? We see um, or presented with, with a promise of positive outcome. And, uh, and we want it. But there's this worry that it won't happen, that things won't turn out that way. Right? It's that kind of wishful hope that we're so familiar with. So in Genesis 16, uh, Abraham and Sarah are worried that God's promise is not going to come about. Right? The future of offspring is slipping from their fingers. In this moment, they do not have faith, meaning they lack confidence in God's ability to bring about his promise. If they did believe that this was something God could do, there wouldn't be any worry. So they decide to build something they could have faith in. They, they devise a strategy, right? Not that there's anything wrong with strategies, but they develop a strategy where their faith can be in their own ability to bring about this future that God promised. So let's, let's read over it quick in Genesis 16, chapter, or verse 1 to 4. Now Sarah, uh, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. So go into my servant. It may be be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan. Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. If you read on, you'll see the strategy kind of worked. It didn't really work. Uh, Other people became objects uh, in their means of production. It actually caused them a lot of problems. And the, the point I'm trying to make is their faith shifts from God's ability to their own ability. And likewise... Their hope in the future becomes their worry for the future. Worry can make people do crazy things. 
Right? Worry can often motivate people to make very questionable decisions. There's this uh, quote attributed to Bishop Fulton J. Sheen. If you don't know who he is, uh, me neither. He has this great quote. Uh, I I think it's a really good quote anyways. The quote is, uh, Worry is a form of atheism, for it betrays a lack of faith and trust in God. Ouch! Let that that sink in. Let me just read it over again real quick. Worry is a form of atheism, for it betrays a lack of faith and trust in God. See, like what's been illustrated through Abraham and what's kind of expressed in this quote is that, you know, worry has its own problems, right? But it's even worse than that. Because worry is unbelief. Worry is offensive to God. If things haven't just gotten real enough right now, let me discuss some more immediate examples. So, so in those rare moments, so we're going to have a little bit of therapy time here. If things get weird, it's your fault because you're the therapist, all right? I'm putting you in that position. Okay, so in those rare moments when I'm honest with myself, um, I realize that I don't believe Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 24, right? I don't believe that God knows everything I need and that he'll take care of my needs, right? I know that I don't believe it because I worry, right? And I'm not talking about just like food and clothes, right? I'm talking everything, right? I know it's written in the Bible. I know without a doubt that the words are written there, right? That my Bible says God will care for us. That the Bible says God will give us everything we need, right? When we need it. And the Bible's clear that God is the sustainer of life and that God's the author of history. But I still worry, right? Like, I, I don't believe it. So about three months ago this Sunday um, is when I was asked to cover for Mark this Sunday. All right, so I had, I had a lot of time to be concerned about this sermon, what I would talk about, you know, how I would talk about it, what kind of outline I was going to use, Right, making sure, like, am I picking a topic that we haven't really talked about? You know, am I mixing it up enough? Is it going to be interesting enough? You know, I had loads of time to look over sermon outlines, to uh, uh, look up what makes a good sermon, brush up on my public speaking skills. Right, and uh, like, I, I placed my faith in the preparation process. Right, I placed my faith in the planning. Right, my faith was in the ability to mimic uh, a technique. So my worry was that I wouldn't be able to communicate what I thought you guys needed to hear. Right? Even as I'm talking to you right now, like I'm super conscious of like, what am I doing with my voice? Like, what am I doing with my hands? Am I pacing too much? Can the camera see me for the people online? And, uh, you know, my faith is, is in my ability to preach the sermon, right? My faith is in the structure, right, where I stand here and you sit there because I'm the expert and, you know, through faith in my education and my experience, I've, you know, I've masterfully discerned what God wants to say to you guys and so now I have the ability to finally tell you what God wants you to hear. Right, I was, I was going to put on, like, a suit. You know, maybe I'd be more respectful. I was going to, like, cut my hair to be taken more seriously, um, That particular one didn't happen because Doug Roth kept complimenting it every week, so I I didn't want to let him down. But, but, uh, yeah, my hope is in 
these strategies, this perception, these techniques, that somehow those will build God's kingdom for him. I want to be clear, like I'm not critiquing, I don't want to draw attention really to the, to the structures and, and the, the techniques. That's not, that's not the focus here, right? The focus is that, that is where I'm placing my hope. That was where my hope was. And when my hope is in those things, I absolutely have every reason to worry. If I'm seeking first the kingdom of God, his ability to care for my needs, his ability to do his thing, to see to it, if I'm seeking first the kingdom of God, all these things will be added. So, explaining the sermon title a little bit, I was kind of convicted in that. I had this working title, and then I was spending a bit of time being like, you know, what's going to be catchy and impactful? And I had this conviction as I was looking at that, being like, you know, God can work through anything. So in this kind of feeble leap of faith, I just kind of slapped it up there. Just, okay, the working title is it. God can work through anything. And I call it a feeble attempt of faith because even as I was like handing it off to Benita to make it official, I was still editing it, right? I was still trying to make it better. I was still hoping it could be better, right? And I know somebody's going to come up to me afterwards and be like, that was a really good sermon title. Like, because it was so different, it's going to stick. Can we just all agree? Like, it's a bad title, all right? If you do remember it, it's because it's bad and God can work through things that are bad, all right? Let's just all agree that on that right now. So back to Genesis 16. There's a reason we can relate better to Abraham's faith in Genesis 16, right? Because we can read about God's promises and how he fulfills them in extraordinary ways. We can even experience God's provision in extraordinary ways. Um, But for every great feat of faith and belief, there seems to be a hundred failures. And I could tell you, at this point of the ramblings, if my point was to stop worrying, right, I could just say, like, you know, look at all these examples. Look at Scripture. So just stop worrying, right? Have more faith. If we left at that, you know, if, if we were to be honest with ourselves, all that would happen when we left here um, is we would try to have more faith. We would try to trust God more, try to worry less, you know, try to believe that God has everything covered. And all that would happen is we would, we would become painfully aware of our inabilities, painfully aware of our unbelief. And last week, um, Mark Barrett preached on what is a Christian. Right? And at a few points, he populated lists of uh, things that Christians would do, right? Things that if you were a Christian, you would do. And the list was an impossible standard, Right? That's not really a problem because Jesus did the same thing, right? Even in our passage, even Matthew 16, or Matthew 6, and and its surrounding context as well. There's just, after some honest reflection, we'll see that the standard is impossible, right? Seek God equals have no worries, right? We're still worrying, meaning we can't even get the first part right, right? Our faith in our own ability to stop worrying, if our faith's in our own ability to have more faith, even, we're just going to end up worrying if our faith is enough. And worry can motivate us to place our faith in questionable strategies to increase our faith. Now, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 reminds us 
For by grace you have been saved through faith. Not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. Your faith, your confidence in God. It's a gift from God. You don't have to have faith in your own ability to have faith. We have faith in God's ability to gift us faith. Romans chapter 3, verses 10 to 11 Right, it's written that none is righteous, no, not one. Not one understands. No one seeks after God. God already knows that we're not good enough. He already knows that we're incapable of simply seeking, of simple belief. Romans 5, 8, farther along in Romans, chapter 5, verse 8, God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We won't seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, so we'll be anxious. We will put our faith in our own abilities and systems to soothe our worries. We will doubt God and we'll trust ourselves to obtain what God promises for free. And Jesus, knowing full well we would be incapable of these things, incapable of trusting him, took on the consequences of that unbelief. Let's read again Matthew 6, verses 25 to 34. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body. What you will put on is not life more than food, is not the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Right? In those moments when we can honestly say that we are seeking the kingdom of God, right? it's not because of what we can get out of it. It's because God is seeing to our needs when we're not seeking the kingdom of God. We need God to cover that entire equation on our behalf. Right? And he will see to it whether we trust him or not. When you worry, and you will worry, when you worry, allow it to be a reminder that Jesus knows what you need, and what you need is Jesus. May our hope be in God's promise to know and meet our needs. May our confidence be in God's ability to increase our faith. May that drive us to love him and to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Pray with me. God, we thank you that you are the author of everything. God, that you will see to it that you have us covered. 
God, that we have no need to worry. But God, we know we will. And so we pray in those moments um, when we feel worry that we won't be able to, to make it through, that, that God, you would remind us that you would show us where our faith is being placed. And God, we would understand that you, you have us covered anyways. God, that you've paid for the consequences of that unbelief. God, that you've thought of everything, that every way we can mess up, and you've covered for us in every regard. I pray that we would respond. We'd respond to this great act of love, to this great understanding of who you are by seeking your kingdom, loving you more, and being drawn closer to your embrace. God, we pray these things in your name. Amen.